Well, good morning. God is good. And all the time. Amen. What well, is a joy to be here today? Got a few announcements for you. Uh, our Adventure Week, which is also known as Vacation Bible School, starts next week, July 11th through the 14th, 6 p.m. to 8.30. And there are cards at the welcome table that you can pick up uh, and invite people to come and be a part of this. Um, and it's going on, uh, as I said, next week, and you can get that. Then at, on Friday, the last day of, of Adventure Week, we're having Kids Blitz which is a free opportunity for all the kids to come with their parents. The gospel will be presented, and also there will be a lot of fun games um, that are going on. You can pick those up too, those cards, to invite people to come out at the Welcome Center. Our prayer time that's usually on Mondays at 12 o'clock will be on Tuesdays, because on this Tuesday, not Tuesdays in the future, but this Tuesday because Monday is July 4th and the office will be closed. I pray that each of you have a wonderful day on July 4th and then on Tuesday at 5 p.m., man, 12 p.m., I'll get it right in a minute. On Tuesday at 12 p.m., we'll have our time of prayer. I'm asking for the church on the first Monday of each month to take a time of fasting and praying, and so this month it will be on July 5th. And then also, Grand Monday Night has been postponed until August. So those who have been going to Grand Monday Nights in July, it's been postponed, and it will be back on in August. Now, I do have uh, just a recap from yesterday. Some of y'all know that we had a youth event down at the uh, Dog River, a river day. And so we have a picture of all the students. Um, let's see, I think we do. There we go. Oh, well, we do have that picture. Yes. So... Um, do we have the other picture of all the students? And then there's a, no, oh, th- there we go. We had all of our students down there. There was a couple of pictures of us on the water. Hey, here's the great thing. Um, go back to that really good picture of them tubing. Um, that one right there. So, um, I know, I know I haven't learned my lesson yet, but I was the boat driver. And can I tell you that no student was able to stay on the tube? Um, and so... I just want y'all to know, um, the, there was two, there was two that stayed on the tube, and that was Emmy and Samuel Bullock. Um, I, I, I was threatened by my wife, so uh, they, they stayed on the tube. But anyways, we had a wonderful time. You can take that off too, that's me out there. Um, but it was a wonderful time for our students, um, and I'm just so thankful to Jeff and Tara Barton for allowing us to go down and... And, and spend that time there. Uh, I, I see that a lot of them didn't make it today because they're uh, exhausted, probably. But I also want to just take a moment as we begin this morning. This weekend we celebrate our nation's independence. And I want you to know that I personally love this holiday. Men and women have fought for the right, uh, for our freedom. From the Revolutionary War to our current day, brave men and women have served, that we can have the freedom that we have today. And so I want to just start by saying thank you to all those who have served. If you have served, would you stand at this point so we can just thank you for your service? I just want to say that I am so thankful to God for His grace and mercy that He's bestowed on this nation and that He's allowed us to live in the land of the free. 
But as many of you know, over the past few years, we have seen a great division in our nation. It's painful to watch a nation erode from the inside. And this morning on July 4th weekend, I want to share a short video with you. And after that, Miss Denise is going to play a song that you're very familiar with. But I want to ask that you would take a time of prayer as she plays and pray for our nation. Then afterwards, uh, Brother Aaron will come up and lead us in that song to sing together. Many of you know the song, but here it is, is that I see it as a prayer that God would lead us and guide us as a nation. So turn your eyes to the screens this morning. Independence has never been easy. Nearly 250 years ago, it was something worth fighting for. The idea of a people who stood on equal footing, free to speak, free to wander, free to live. These were ideals worth risking everything for. Today, we find ourselves fighting old battles, not with past foes, but with ourselves. We are a nation divided, divided by skin, divided by opinion, divided by hate. It seems the very freedoms we once fought for have become stumbling blocks. Are we too busy seeking ourselves to even recognize the tragedy which surrounds us? Do we no longer see the profound need for the hand of God? In this moment, the truth of Scripture rings especially true. If we, the people, will humbly pray, turn from wickedness, and seek His face, then He will hear us. He will forgive us, and He will heal this land. Today, may we remember this one simple truth. True independence is found only in our dependence on God. Would you stand with me and sing this song as a prayer? God bless America. 
that we have in Christ is, is so great. And the freedom that we have in America is a reflection of that. Amen. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you're here. Why don't you say hi to the person next to you and we will continue in worship this morning. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we Wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever, our hope, our strong
stand if you love the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, and you read this with me today. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. It's right there in Scripture. He bears our burdens. and We can go for the gospel in Him because He is our firm foundation. Let's continue in praise today. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm Jesus, Jesus, I 
to trust Him, Lord. Father, we have proven You over and over and over again that Your love has no bounds, that Your mercies are renewed every morning. We are in awe of Your work in the Gospel. We are in awe of the cross of Jesus Christ that has borne us into a living hope. Lord, we put our trust and our our hope in you. We put our freedom, our sense of worth, our identity in you today. You are the one that has set us free. We love you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Oh, 
Father, we know today that true freedom comes from Christ. And the freedom that we have in this land is a reflection of the freedom that you give. Thank you for the blessings that you have given to us. I pray that as we move forward, using our talents, using our means, Lord, everything that we have to go in Christ for the purpose of the gospel, I pray that we would be found faithful as you have been so faithful to us. Lord, we we thank you so much for the cross, for the gospel. We pray that we would always be in awe, that we would lift our eyes to where our help comes from, from you, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, we trust in you because you are faithful to us.
Amen. Well, I'm just so thankful, Brother Aaron and the choir and the orchestra. I tell you, I, I sit down here and I'm just amazed and uh, just so thankful for the fact that y'all just open up God's Word and sing it and we're allowed to come alongside together and just praise the Lord. Now, let me just tell you, there was a few seats left open up here, so there are some seats available uh, for the choir and also for the orchestra. Today... We are going to begin a new series, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Now on Wednesday night, I went through Daniel 11, and it was 45 verses. And when I got done reading 45 verses, Randy, Brother Randy, woke up and said, Praise the Lord. Um, So today I have decided that we're only going to go through three verses. Um, And so, if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see that which you are saying and speaking. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages today. Sit me on the front row and allow me just to hear and and learn what you are speaking today as well. And may we place it into our lives and walk in obedience. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for this time today as we worship together in spirit and in truth. Amen. So as we begin the Sermon on the Mount, what I want to do today is start with an overview and then we will look at the very first beatitude. Now when we look at the overview, really we see the overview in verses 1 and 2. We see that Jesus goes up onto a mountain or on a mountainside. He sits down and he begins to speak or he opens his mouth. The first thing I want us to see in this overview is who is speaking, and I think that everybody knows the answer from reading verses 1 and 2, and as many people say, Jesus is always the right answer, right? So who is speaking here? But it says Jesus opens his mouth and begins to speak. Now I want to remind us that the scripture tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction. Here we have Jesus, the red letters in the Bible, which means Jesus is speaking them, and he gives this incredible sermon that has been called the Sermon on the Mount. And so because Jesus is speaking this, we need to listen. Now let me just say, From Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is speaking. So we need to listen to the whole thing. But I always take even extra careful attention when I see the letters in red when Jesus is speaking. Now, we see who is speaking, but where is he teaching? It says in the scripture that he is teaching on a mountain. He sits down on this mountainside. Now, the reason that it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because Augustine actually gave it that title. Now, we don't know exactly which mountain, but for those who have gone to Israel with me and those who are going next year with me, let me just show you a few pictures 
And those who have been will, will, will notice the location. This is the mountainside that they believe is where Jesus gave this sermon. Now, kind of go through it just a little bit. You can kind of see now the water, the body of water just behind there is the Sea of Galilee. Now, for some of you, you're saying, wow, I didn't know it was so small. Yeah, it's really small. You can see across it. And then one more picture, you can kind of see the, the mountainside that they believe of where it was. And then I also had a picture of Leslie and me there at the, the location. Now, we don't know for sure where this took place, but can I tell you, as I tell those who go to Israel with me, that there's many locations that we go to that we don't know exactly if this is the location that it took place, but we do know this, it took place. So we know that Jesus is speaking, we know that it's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee on a mountainside, and who is the audience? The audience is really twofold. We see his disciples, which is that inner circle, and then we see the crowd that has gathered around. Now, we recognize that what Jesus is speaking to the disciples is to be spoken to us and to live out by us as disciples of Christ or as those who are born again, or as I like to say, those who are bondservants of the Most High God. So we see who is speaking, we see where, we see who the audience is, but let me just give you real quickly the structure of the Sermon on the Mount. First, we see the Beatitudes, and people argue whether there's nine or eight of them. That doesn't really matter. I broke it down into eight because there's four and four. In the Beatitudes, we see the first four is about our character towards and our understanding towards God. The second four are more of our view, our character towards how we look at and treat others. You see in here that there is a quality, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then there is a reward, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Each starts with a blessing, or blessed be, and that word in the Greek means happiness. Now, we know that this is not a situational happiness. For that's what the world is seeking, is joy, peace, and happiness. But they can only find it in situations. But we recognize that God is the one who gives us true joy, true peace, true happiness, true delight. And so we can say, those who are poor in spirit are truly joyful. Those who are poor in spirit have found true godly happiness. Those who are poor in spirit, have found true godly peace. Those who are poor in spirit have truly found the, 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 the idea, the way to delight themselves in God. The world is searching for that all over, and all they find is circumstantial happiness that leads to hurt, pain. Now, oftentimes we become very narrow-minded when we think of blessings and we think to material things. We begin to say, well, I'm blessed because I have this or I have that or I have this. But let me remind you that in Ephesians, when it says blessed, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and then we went through all those blessings that we have, how many of those were material blessings? None. And so now we also see that again. Blessed are... The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These blessings that are bestowed upon us are not necessarily material blessings, but they're spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon you and me for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we see the Beatitudes, then we see the, the conduct of those who are submitted to Christ and dependent upon Him. 
And then afterwards, we kind of see in this structure the contrast between Jesus and his teaching and the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You may remember the phrase as you have studied and read the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember this. So you have heard it said. You have heard it taught by the Pharisees and Sadducees. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So we recognize who's speaking. We recognize where it is and and who he's speaking to and a little bit of the structure. So what is the main purpose? What's the main purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? Interestingly enough, I reading through different commentaries and different people on this, they actually argue over the main idea of the Sermon on the Mount. People argue, and some say that the Sermon on the Mount is this unrealistic ideas for our day and time. Some people say that they think that it's a set of guidelines only for the religious elite. Some people said, That they believe that it's a list of rules and regulations that if followed, prove that you are good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Others say that it shows man's depravity or need of a savior and it leads to repentance. Now I like that part and all the other ones I disagree with. Let me give you what I believe the main purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to show the character and the conduct of those who are in Christ Jesus and who are led by the Spirit of God. It's a picture of the life of one who is in the kingdom of God. This is not rules and regulations that prove that you are good enough to enter the kingdom of God because we all know, according to the scripture, that our righteousness is but filthy rags and none of us can earn our way to salvation. This is character and conduct that comes forth from those who are already part of the kingdom of God. Let me just say that again. This is character and conduct that comes forth from the life of those who are already part of the kingdom of God. Now we must be careful. There is a danger here. There's a danger for us to to look at the Sermon on the Mount and to say, okay, I've got to live this out. I've got to live this out. Here's all the rules and regulations. I've got to live this out and this out. And we can become very legalistic. We can become very religious. But can I tell you that the danger is is that you attempt to live out the Sermon on the Mount in your own power and your own strength. And I'm here to tell you, church, you can't do that. You cannot live out the Sermon on the Mount in your own ability or in your own strength. Praise God that Jesus promised us that he would send a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And before Jesus ascended, he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that when you receive the Spirit, you'll receive power, dynamite power. Now he was talking that you're going to go forth with power in the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. But can I tell you that he also was saying that you can go forth and live the gospel because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells and lives within you. Oftentimes we think of Acts 1-8 and we say, well, I've got power to go share the gospel with others. But let me tell you, it's by the Holy Spirit power in your life that you can live the gospel every day. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, the purpose is to show what we as born-again believers look like. To show what our character and our conduct will will be like for born-again believers. But here is the thing. We can't do it. We must submit, abide, delight, 
dwell in Christ so that the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in and through us. I'll go back to one of my favorite verses that I've shared with you many times. John 15, I didn't give it to you in the back. John 15, 5. He who abides in Christ, he bears fruit. But he who does not can do nothing. Church, we can't live the Sermon on the Mount unless we are abiding and dwelling in Christ. Unless our hearts have been transformed and we've been made alive in Christ and that we submit and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. When we studied the book of Ephesians for five years, I mean a year, um, when we studied the book of Ephesians for a year, I always told you the, the being comes before the doing. The being in Christ Jesus comes before the doing for Christ. And we also see that here in the Sermon on the Mount. We see that the being comes before the doing. If you put doing, good works, before being transformed by Christ, it's called religion and legalism. And when you stand before the throne of God one day, you will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. They said, look at all the things that I did in your name. I did all these things in your name, Jesus. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. For you are a worker of iniquity. We see the purpose, we see the overview. Now let's dive into the very first beatitude. The first beatitude here is blessed are the poor in spirit. For some, you you could say blessed are those who are of poverty of spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's stop here and let's break these two up. We're going to start with the poor in spirit and then we will go to the reward. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think of poverty of spirit and we look at this beatitude, the first thing we have to realize is that God is a God of order. God's a God of order. Order matters. And there is a reason why God put this as the very first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll go back for a moment to Ephesians. The first three chapters were all about who we are in Christ, the being. The last three chapters were all about what we're called to do, the works. The being came before the doing, right? Now we see here that Jesus places this beatitude as the very first thing that he says in this sermon. Because order matters. If you, do not, if you are not poor in spirit, then you cannot walk. In the rest of the character of the Beatitudes. If you're not poor in spirit, then you will not mourn over our sin. If you're not poor in spirit, then how can you be gentle? If you're not poor in spirit, then how can you hunger and thirst for righteousness? For us to be filled, we must first be emptied. Church, if I took a cup of water up here and it was full to the brim, and then I took another cup and I tried to pour it into a cup that was already full of water, what would happen? We'd have a big mess. We'd have a big mess. And most of what was already in the cup is going to stay in that cup. We must first be emptied to be filled. I love what one theologian said is that we must realize that the gospel condemns before it brings hope. The gospel condemns before there's salvation. Because the gospel tells us that there's a need for a Savior. But the gospel also tells us that there's a Savior. And His name is Jesus. 
Church, we must be emptied for us to be filled. So what is the meaning of being poor in spirit? Often we think of poor meaning that uh, we don't have a lot of material wealth. And can I take a side note for just a second? Church, I want you to know that poor in spirit is not talking about wealth, phys- uh, material wealth. But I do want you to know that we are extremely rich and blessed in this nation. And oftentimes we can think, oh, I don't have this or I don't have that. But let me tell you, you get outside of this nation and you will find out very quickly that we are extremely blessed by the grace of God. But to be poor in spirit is to realize our spiritual poverty before God. That we cannot provide for ourselves, and we cannot save ourselves. We have nothing to bring to God except for the sin that has separated us from God. Let me just say all that again. To be poor in spirit is to realize our spiritual poverty before God. That we cannot provide for ourselves, and that we cannot save ourselves. We have nothing to bring to God except the sins that have separated us from God. John Piper speaks this in his commentary on uh, the, the Beatitudes. He says, what then does it mean to be poor in spirit? He says, it's a sense of powerlessness in ourself. It's a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. It's a sense of moral uncleanliness before God. It's a sense of personal unworth. Uh, unworthiness, excuse me, before God. It's a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of His grace. He continues on and says, the reason that I say sense of powerlessness, sense of bankruptcy, a sense of uncleanliness, a sense of unworthiness, is that objectively speaking, everyone is poor in spirit. Everybody, whether they sense it or not, is powerless without God and bankrupt and helpless and unclean and unworthy before God. But not everyone is blessed. For only those who are blessed are those who recognize their poverty before God. Think about this for a moment. Think about the differences that he just spoke and and the difference between the world and being poor in spirit. The world focuses in on man's ability, man's strength, man's wisdom. The world focuses in on confidence and self. The world focuses in on believe in yourself. But those who are poor in spirit, they focus in on their dependency of God. They focus in on their humility before God, which is absent of pride. They focus in that they are desperately dependent upon God and they can do nothing in their own power or their own strength. Church, there's no greater contrast today in this world for those who are of the world and those who are poor in spirit. Let me give you a few examples in the scripture of those who are poor in spirit. We'll start with just uh, with Paul. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 7 through 14, you can write that down, I'll read it from the screen here. He says, 
Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, all the things that I had, I realize are lost. They're, they're, they're nothing. I can do nothing apart from him. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, or as some uh, translations will say, garbage. I count it but garbage, so that I may gain Christ. Here's what Paul's saying here. He says, I have recognized that I am desperately in need of a Savior, and I can't do it. And everything that I have means nothing when it comes to comparison of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul, on the road to Damascus, his name was Saul at the time, and he saw the holiness of God. And in that moment, he recognized that he was of poverty of spirit. He recognized his need of a Savior when he saw God's holiness and he fell on his face. Now, he was blinded, but praise God, he gave him sight again and he went forth and shared with the world all about the fact that all that he had was loss and garbage compared to knowing Jesus because he was desperately dependent upon God for all things. And then he says this in Philippians 4, the most misquoted scripture in the Bible, I think, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've told you before, I was jumping off of a cliff one time, uh, scared, holding on to a zip line at Canacook. And when I jumped off, I I was scared because I was afraid of heights at that point. Praise God, he's relieved me from that. I'm no longer afraid of heights. I think, and uh, he goes to jump, or I go to jump, and as I jump, I shout out Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things. And God was not talking about me jumping off of a cliff. But what he's saying is, Paul says, I have learned that in all circumstances of life, I can do all things. Because the one that I'm desperately dependent upon is God, and he's promised to give me all all that I need for life and godliness. He's promised and has given me the Holy Spirit to dwell within my heart. And so I count all things as loss, everything else as rubbish, as to know Christ and and to know his, His death and His resurrection. He also says in Philippians 3 that I have not obtained this, but I press on. I continue forward. But you know, there's another person in the New Testament that had poor in spirit. And that was Jesus. Listen to this for a moment. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8, it says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Let me just be very clear, and let me give you a, a, a very clear understanding here. Jesus could do all things. He could do all things. Jesus was not in need of salvation, for he was holy and he came to be our salvation. If Jesus was in need of salvation, if he would have sinned, then when he was upon the cross, he would be dying the death that he deserved. But here's the beauty of it, is that Jesus did not need salvation because he was sinless. And so when he went to the cross, he was taking what we deserve upon him. He uh, could do all things, but it says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. It says that he took the form of a bondservant and he was made in the likeness of man. Being appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. This is why in John 5, you've got to hear this 
Look at this passage very closely. John 5, 19, Jesus says this. Therefore, and Jesus is an example for us to be poor in spirit. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Why? Why? Is it because he's powerless? No. It's because he's submitted to the Father's will. Church, we must follow the example of Christ and we must submit ourselves to the will of the Father. We must submit ourselves under the authority and the lordship of Christ. And so how do we do this? How are we poor in spirit? What's the application here? Well, here it is. Isaiah 6 speaks it so clearly. Brother Al uh, spoke of this and, and taught on this, and, and I'm not going to uh, expound on anything that he preached because it was incredible. But I will tell you that Isaiah 6 gives us the understanding of how we are to be poor in spirit. It says this in Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted, and his train of his robe filled the temple. He saw the Lord. It says, The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. Two covered their face, two covered their feet, and two he flew. It says this in verse 3, And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. It says in verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at His voice, at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Let me stop there. Isaiah saw the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The seraphim covering their face, covering their feet, and flying with two other wings. Isaiah saw the holiness. And let me tell you what happened. He said in the next verse, Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Church, you want to know how we get to a place of being poor in spirit and realizing that we're poor in spirit? We see that God is holy. And when we place our life next to and look at the holiness of God and we see our sin and our life, we recognize as Isaiah did, woe is me for I am a man ruined. You want to know how people realize their poverty of spirit? It's by seeing who God truly is. It's by seeing His holiness. And in comparison to His holiness, we must say, woe is me. He said, woe is me, for I'm ruined. And he says, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew over with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Church, I'm so thankful that the gospel doesn't stop with just us seeing the holiness of God and saying, Woe is me. The gospel doesn't stop by just simply us recognizing our absolute dependency, our need of a Savior, our need uh, and, and help. See, the, the difficult news of the gospel is that we are poor in spirit, but 
praise God, there's good news. And the good news is, is that we cannot stand before the holiness of God, but He's made a way by sending His Son, Jesus, that we can stand in His holiness. John three sixteen through 18, many of you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God does not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that He might be saved. The world might be saved through Him. Church, the good news is, is yes, we're poor in spirit. Yes, we're in need. Yes, we can do nothing in our own power. We cannot save ourselves. But God knew it and He sent His Son and His Son submitted to His will and went to the cross so that we could be saved. It says that we're saved through Him. Church, when we see who we truly are before the holiness of God, helpless and in need of a Savior, when we see that Jesus Christ died and rose, offering to us salvation and forgiveness, the question is, what what will we do with that? We all have a decision to make. Will you submit yourself under the authority and the lordship of Christ? Or will you say, no, I'm good? Romans 10, 9 through 11 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You believe in your heart that you're in need of salvation and that Jesus is that salvation and you confess him as Lord, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And I love this, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be saved disappointed. Church, when we recognize that we are poor in spirit and that the only way for us to be able to stand before the holiness of God is through a sacrifice of His Son, a perfect Lamb, holy, sinless Lamb of God, And he came, he died, and he rose again. We celebrate it on Resurrection Sunday. Some people call it Easter. But we celebrate the fact that our sins have been forgiven through the the, the death, burial, and resurrection when we recognize our need of a Savior, when we see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And as I quote often, John 14, 6 says that He's the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other way to the Father. The decision then is will you confess Jesus as Lord and submit your life under the Lordship of Christ or will you continue on in this world rejecting the Savior. Now let me be very clear. Those who say no, I'm not willing to submit. Those who say no, I'm not going to give my life to Jesus, have not fully recognized their poverty of spirit. For somebody to truly to say no to Christ, for somebody to truly say, uh, I'm good, means that they have not truly recognized their poverty of spirit. Because for somebody to say, no, I'm good, means that they feel like in some way, maybe one ounce of their being, that they're saying, hey, uh, I've got this, it's going to be okay. All those things that it talks about in the scripture, you know, for those who die without knowing Christ, I don't know if those are 
true. I don't know if I really need a Savior. For somebody to say no and to turn away from Christ means that they have not fully comprehended the fact that they are poor in spirit. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their poverty of spirit, he is speaking to those who have recognized, and if you've recognized and you see Jesus as Savior, you will submit to the Lordship of Christ if you've truly recognized it. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying, blessed are those who have seen that they cannot save themselves and have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So church... With that comes an incredible reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have seen that they are desperately dependent upon God. Those who have seen that the only answer for them to be able to stand before the holiness of God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Those who have submitted to the lordship of Christ and have now clinged to the complete dependency upon God and God alone. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. At the point of salvation, church, our nationality changes. Yes, I still live in America. Yes, I still celebrate the 4th of July. Yes, I'm very thankful and will always thank those who fight for our freedom. I told a person the other day, dressed in military um, uniform, I said, thank you for serving our country. And he turned around and he said, thank you for your support. But we must recognize, church, that we are now foreigners and aliens in this world. We are now part of a holy nation, set apart for God's own possession. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9-12 through 12 says, But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, or a royal priesthood, a holy nation, for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Church, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're now a child of the king. You're now a child of God. And you are part of a holy nation. And you are called in that nation to be focused on the eternal kingdom of God and not simply uh, the, the kingdoms that will pass away and to proclaim what are the excellencies of him who has, been call, who has called you out of darkness into light. It goes on. He says this, for you once were not a people. You once were dead in your sin, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens, this is not your home. Listen, if something happens to America, and I pray that it doesn't, if something happens to and name the country that you're living in, our job doesn't change as believers. We're still aliens in this world proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the excellencies of of Christ who has transformed us from darkness into light. He says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the things of this world, the fleshly lusts which wage against the soul. He says this in verse 12. 
Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Church, we see here, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are poor in spirit truly understand their need for a Savior. And if you truly understand your need and see what Jesus went through, you'll submit your life under His Lordship. And it says that you're blessed. And the reward in that blessing is that you're part of the kingdom of God now. Daniel 7 that we looked at just a few weeks ago while we were studying the book of Daniel. It said that the Ancient of Days was there and the one like the Son of Man, Jesus, came and he was able to stand before the throne of God. And God gave him a kingdom that was eternal. Church, we have something that we must share with all the world. We recognize our dependency upon God, but praise God, He will give us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's calling us as children of God to go and to proclaim the excellencies of God, to go and to proclaim that Jesus has died for your sins and that He rose again. And if you would submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, you shall be free. He's called us to live the life of godliness, to live the gospel out by the power of the Holy Spirit so that people see the difference in our life. And when they see that difference, they say, man, you're different than the world. And we say, yeah, I'm part of a different kingdom. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I'm a child of God. But as Brother Ed always said, and I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again, that the life that he lived, he could never have done in his own power, his own strength. We don't then say, oh, look at how good I am. We say, no, look at how good God is, that he's changed my life. Because I could never be who I am today without the power of Christ. So I close by asking you today, have you come to the understanding that you're poor in spirit? The realization that you're in need of a Savior. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted to the Lordship of Christ? And if you have, and I believe that many in this room have, I I believe that there's probably people here who have not. But if you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're part of a different kingdom. It's a reward that you have, but it's not a reward that we keep secret and, and hidden, but instead we proclaim the truth of that kingdom. We proclaim the truth that God's kingdom is eternal. But if you're sitting here today and you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day of salvation. I preached a funeral this past week. And I shared with the audience, I said, listen, Louis Fisher has done something that none of us have done. He's seen God. And he stood before his holiness. And the only way that Louis was able to stand was because of the blood of Jesus Christ that had been applied to him. Jesus says that he takes our sins and he gives us his righteousness. And the only way that you can stand before the holiness of God when you breathe your last is if you're poor in spirit and you submit to the Lordship of Christ. I pray that you would receive the gospel today.